we are walking through the Gospel of Mark. Is it, on? it is on. Okay, I got it, I got it. Thanks. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, and last week we covered the turning point, the turn in the Gospel of Mark. See, the first part of the Gospel of Mark is all about this question. Who is Jesus? And last week we covered that Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, who do the people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're like this guy, some say you're like that guy, some say you're like a prophet, like all the prophets who've been before. And Jesus says to them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, on behalf of all the disciples, says this, you are the Christ. You are the one we've been waiting for for centuries. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you got it. You're right. And then Jesus kicks into the second part of the Gospel of Mark, which is, why is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? And Jesus tells his disciples completely, fully, and plainly his purpose. He must suffer. He must die. And on the third day, he'll rise again. In other words, he tells his disciples, things are going to get really, really bad. Like, really bad. And then they're going to get good. But before they get good, they're going to get bad. So, boys, buckle in your seatbelts. You're in for a rough ride. And Peter does not like this. And he gets mad at Jesus. And Jesus gets mad at Peter. And then we have our reading for today. Where Jesus, he, he takes some time with his core group of disciples. Peter, James, and John. And he invests in them and gets them ready for the journey ahead and gets himself ready too, I think. And this is the text from Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 2. <coughs> After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. He was so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead and they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and must be rejected? I'm going to tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done everything to him they wished, just as it was written about him. This is the gospel of the Lord. What is going on here? I mean, if you've never read this before, this is weird. 
let's be honest, it's, it's weird. Jesus gets really, really bright. Two dudes appear out of nowhere and start talking with Jesus. Peter is so frightened and so stoked that the text is like, yeah, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He was so afraid. He's like talking about building some tents. And then just to keep everyone on their toes, God the Father shows up and announces the purpose for the whole gathering. This is my son whom I love. Y'all listen to him. It's a weird text. And if you're Peter, James, and John, you know something exciting is going on and something very troubling is going on because they've heard of this before. About 14, 1,400 years earlier, there's a guy named Moses. And Moses, by the grace and power of God, leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to nothing, a desert, right? Which is normally not where you want to put a large group of people. There are no porta potties. There is no buffet service. There's no catering. There's, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's going to get rough. And so God takes Moses, and they go away for a long time, about 40 days. And they spend time together. And God's prepping Moses for the journey ahead. And Moses says to God, let me see your glory. And God says to Moses, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you, can't, you can't handle it. The gap between uh, humanity and the divine is so huge that if God were to reveal himself fully to Moses, Moses would die. God is holy. Moses is not. God is perfect. And Moses is not. God is righteous. And Moses is not. And so God says to Moses, all right, I'll give you a little, a little glimpse, a little peek. And that's about all you can handle. That's good enough for Moses. So why is Peter so scared? Because one of the things floating through his mind right now is this. We should be dead. Why aren't we? The answer is this. Because if you don't know the answer, the answer is always this. It's, it's Jesus, right? <laughs> I, I tell our middle schoolers, I ask them a question. I'm like, and they're like, we don't know. I'm like, okay, if you just say Jesus, half the time you're going to be right. So just go with it, right? The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and humanity. Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus and his cross bridges the gap, literally. Bridges the gap between God's holiness and our unholiness. Between God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. Between God's perfect self and our unperfect selves. And Jesus bridges the gap. And that's an important tension. When we fail to hold that tension, we fail to acknowledge who God is. In our culture today, we, we tend to slip toward the side of that God is present, that God is imminent, that God's my best buddy, that God's my spiritual advisor, and that when I need God, I, I go there. And that's true. God is also holy. God's perfect. We're not. And, and sin is bad. 
it's so bad, God died for it. God is holy. We're not. And in worship, the two come together in this awesome tension and balance. In this awe-inspiring and incredible experience, Peter does not want to leave. He's like, hey, let's, let's build some tents. We'll stay here. Those other nine guys down below, let's forget about them. Because this, this is fantastic. But they can't stay. At least not yet. Because what they're experiencing right now, the presence of God and the saints, it's worship. Transfiguration is one big worship service. And for some of you, that's weird. Because when you hear the word worship, you think worship songs, right? So they're singing, someone reads a scripture reading, and then someone talks for about five minutes too long. That's worship, right? And we go, I'm going to worship, that's what I'm going to experience. That's what it is. And that's true, but it's a whole lot bigger than that. As Matthew likes to remind me, because there's Sunday gathering, and then there's worship. Because worship is a bigger category than just Sunday morning. Worship is sing along and praising God in your car, listen to Air One, maybe a song that you heard the Sunday before, and that's that's worship. Worship is uh, taking a quick time at your desk and saying a quick prayer, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, give me strength for it, amen. Worship is, uh, as Jenny Everett likes to tell me, a breath prayer. You know, just breathing out all, all the frustrations and the worries and breathing in God's peace and his presence for you. Worship's when you're at home and you open up the Bible, maybe after dinner, you read a little scripture, maybe before bed, or maybe you pray before bed. That's a time of worship. It's a time of gathering. Worship is simply this. It's being in God's presence, receiving his gifts, and then responding in praise and thanksgiving and service. That's worship. And this is why worship is best in community, right? Uh, we live in this valley here, so people all the time, all the time, well, I worship God when I'm skiing, and I worship God when I'm taking hikes. I'm like saying, I ski with you. I know you don't worship God when you're skiing, because you're crazy when you ski. No, you're not. I, I mean, I'm worshiping because I'm praying for you when I watch you ski. Josh. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. But other than that, But worship's done in community. Because when you are in worship, when you come here, we are lifted up. When you're here, we are blessed by you. And you never thought you were that powerful before. But you are. The fact that you go to worship on a Sunday morning tells your neighbors, you're witnessing to your neighbors. You are. In this community, you are. Just the act of getting up and going to church is a testimony. And so when we gather together is to receive God's gifts and respond in praise and service. So worship's done best in community. That's what worship is. What does worship do? 
It's three things. Worship renews. Renews you with God's forgiveness. We live in a world of conditional love and a transactional grace. It's just, it's just how we are. It, it just is. If, if, if I forgive you, I'm kind of expecting a little more slack from you, right? Just, just a little more slack, right? If I do something nice for you, and sometime down the road, like, man, I'll call this person because, you know, they might say yes because of what I've done in the past, right? It's, it's how we are. We live in a transactional world. And the reason we know that is because when we see real grace, it's shocking. So last Sunday, we showed the video of the man whose brother was murdered. And on the witness stand, he, he forgives the woman who murdered his brother. And I talked with you after the service, and every single one of you was shocked. It was unbelievable. Because grace, unconditional grace, it's shocking. Which is why when we really need it, we don't believe it. This has been my experience. My experience is, is that I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose for me, and I'm saved freely and completely by his grace. Except when I really screw up. And then I doubt. And then the shame just pours over. And the anger turns inward. And I have trouble forgiving myself. Much less allowing God to forgive me. I'm saved by grace. Until I need to be. And then I wonder. And so God invites us into worship. Those times to be regularly, regularly reminded and renewed by his complete, full, unconditional, amazing grace. It's for you. So worship, it renews. But it also recenters. Worship recenters us. So uh, I'm going to tell you the secret of life. Are you ready? Go ahead and get your phone out. You're going to want to record this. <laughs> Write it down. This is the secret of life right here. You ready? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I know, thank you, thank you. Yes, I know, that's the secret of life. Right there, right there. Oh, no, it gets better. It gets better. Wait, 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 it gets better. Great. Don't applaud yet, but later, you applaud. Lots, right? Please, please. Here's when things go wrong. When something else in your life becomes a main thing, and it keeps you from keeping the main thing, the main thing. Wow. Oh, wait. Oh, no, 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 no. It gets better, it gets better. You'll be like, wow, wow, you have a master's degree in theology and awesomeness. So, here's here it is. The main thing, I know it's going to blow you away, you'll be like, wow, that's, I would never have guessed. The main thing, or the main one, as we should say, is God. 
That's it. That's it. Yep, yep, thank you, thank you. A little golf clap in the back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. It gets better. It gets better, right? The main thing is not you. I know. Wisdom like you've never heard before, right? <laughs> and worship recenters us on that. And we need to get recentered time and time again. Because the main thing is, is not you. Um, it's not your job. Uh, it's not your kids or their sports. Uh, the main thing is not um, uh, your future. The main thing is not your bank account. The main thing is not your 401k. Uh, the main thing is not uh, even your spouse. Uh, the main thing is not your fear or your past. The main thing is God. And as we know, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not to say that there are lots of things in your life that aren't important. They are important. They're great. They're wonderful gifts from God. But the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And worship does that. It recenters you on the main thing. And because worship does that, it both renews and it recenters. It also does this. It resurrects. Worship gives and propels life. It gives life through renewing you through God's forgiveness. And it recenters life and it propels you by recentering you on God's purposes in your life. And when that happens, you are resurrected. You have life today and every day. I love how the Westminster Catechism puts it. It was written in 1647, and those guys nailed it. It says this, what is the chief end of man? It's the very first line in the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? It says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Perfect. Perfect. Nailed it. When you know that you are loved unconditionally and completely by your creator. When you are centered on God and what he has done in your life for you, you will be kicking in and busting down doors for Jesus like a grace commando. It's true. That you'll be renewed in his grace, recentered on his purposes, resurrected for life day in and day out, over and over, until God calls you home and resurrects you, capital R, on that day. It'll be awesome. <clears throat> Some of you, and every one of us, at one point in our lives, have struggled with this. Because you're burnt out. Exhausted. Each day is one darn thing after another. And you're wondering, why am I doing this? And I'm tired. And you know what? If I could just sleep for three days straight, that sounds really nice. <laughs> or just get away. I just want to get away, right? I'll get away. And you, some of you do. You're like, you get away, and you come back, and you're like, all the problems, they stayed here waiting for you. <laughs> they didn't go away like you went away. They just stayed, came back. In fact, they got bigger because now there's 500 emails for you to tackle instead of just 100 when you left, right? 
You're like, oh man, what am I doing this for? I'm tired. And when that happens, we're tempted to walk away from worship. Because it's one more thing. And the last thing you need is one more thing. So I want to encourage you to worship. Which means Sunday morning. And it means those times when you're at work or you're traveling or whatever it might be. But to take those times because you need them. As uh, my friend Randy Simmons likes to say, you can't pour water out of an empty bucket. And worship's that renewing time. It fills you up. It's that recentering time. It gets you centered on what's the main thing again. And then it resurrects you and sends you out new life. Secure in God's promises for you. Recentered on God's purposes for you. Resurrected for God's life for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we know. We know the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We know you are the main thing. Life is crazy. So much gets in the way, and we get off center and Kilter. So, Lord, this morning we'd like just to rest in you. We'd like to rest in your grace. We want to spend some time being secure in your promises. We want to spend some time letting uh, shame and anger and letting it go. And letting you take it, Jesus. And Lord, when we pick that back up again, when we pick that crap back up again, to let you take it once more, that we might be Jesus, you are God, <coughs> by your grace and your